Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, here to take a look back at one of the most vintage Fulhamish performances I think we've ever seen. My name is Jack Collins, and I'll be your host today. And to celebrate i suppose in some ways a vintage fulhamish performance we've got a vintage fulhamish lineup here for us the last time that the four of us were on a podcast together with nobody else was april 2017 after two 3-1 wins over aston villa and norwich city in the championship that took us into the playoff places it's been some time so please ladies and gentlemen make some noise for the Professor, Mr. Ben Jarman. How you doing, mate? Yes, mate. I'm very well, thank you. So good to be on with all of you. I can't believe it's been seven years. <laughs> yeah, we're coming up to seven <laughs> oh years. God. The anniversary <laughs> of this one. <laughs> exactly. A man who would not miss Burnley away for the life of him. It is Mr. Don Betts. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm good. I'm just still trying to recover mentally and physically from yesterday. <laughs> I, think, I think we all are in, in some regards. And... The old faithful, a reliable servant at any given time. Mr. Farrell Monk, how you doing, mate? Just glad to be asked. I'll, I'll keep bounding up to you like a Labrador at any opportunity. Uh, good evening, Jack. Good evening, everyone. Good to be back on. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, two all <laughs> Burnley from 2 0 up. You couldn't really write it. The curse goes on at Turf Moor. Faz, what were the best of the three word reviews? Obviously, there was a lot of wordplay on the Moor in Turf Moor. So I'll just get those out of the way. Um, we had Lee Warner's More Bad Defending. Uh, we had TJ's More Points Dropped. Uh, Rick Cardis's Turf Moor Tears. Um, on the positive side, we had from um, Brian Lake, we had one more point. You know, let's look at the positives in that regard. Um, we had uh, Fulham Mike's Claret and Blue, um, B-L-E-W that is. Um, I, I, the one that really tickled me was uh, Josh Turbury's Claret and Poo, um, which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> um, oh, another one, another 73 more years in terms of our um, uh, how long we haven't won there. Uh, money is for nothing or mean is for nothing from line, but, uh, Liam Byrne. And, uh, finally the one that really actually tickled me the most, even though it's just completely just balmy DJ H is with 3000 points dropped all in capitals, which I think was probably just in response to the complete meltdown that was on, was on Twitter yesterday following the capitulation. Yeah. I mean, capitulation is exactly the right word, isn't it? Dom, we were in complete control. What was the meltdown like within the away end at full time? I, f- I don't necessarily think it was a meltdown. Everyone was like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" <laughs> like it was, it was. I think that was more more of the feeling. Like, I don't. There wasn't really much like anger at, at the end of the game. It was more people just laughing that, of course, this is the way it's going to happen at a ground we haven't won since 1951. We haven't won on a league away game since the first game of the season, which we probably shouldn't have won that either. It was it was more sort of it was just yeah like everyone sort of collective oh, oh that's happened then it's it's turf more again. I don't know what's more Fulhamish this one or the last one. I can't I can't quite work it out. 
Yeah, it's it's been incredibly depressing it going to Surf Moor. And it's a shame because it's a cracking away day. And every time we go up there, you're like, oh, it was a really good day out apart from Fulham. And it just seems to be the uh, the way of things when we go to Lancashire. Ben, a strange one because actually for 71 odd minutes, Fulham were excellent and then fell apart. I, the way I kind of viewed it was like it was a game of three parts. Like the first 15 minutes was kind of like two very equal teams just trying to battle it out and I really liked how condensed Burnley made the pitch I think we looked really one shaped at points and like we had just one idea then we figured out oh we can just play it over the top which we did for the next 50 odd minutes and got two goals out of it and then the last 19 minutes was just a pure capitulation on on our part I think specifically when um, Silver took off Bobby Deckard over Reed and struck Andreas out on the right. Vincent Company was like, aha. It was like a light bulb went off in his head and he was like, okay, I'm just going to overload one of the sides and just hope it works. And then it just did. I mean, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what Leno was thinking on the first goal. Um, the second goal could have been totally avoided. Um, but there were some there were some green shoots for Fulham. I think we looked really good at points, um, especially with the use of the ball towards the end of the first half. Um, well, there's a large part of me that hopes Nigeria get knocked out very, very soon because without Iwobi, um, I think we really lack any sort of teeth going forward and anyone that wants to hold the ball and drive on um, to relieve any sort of pressure. So I think there's, there's definitely some concerns there um, to go alongside the green shoots. Yeah, I mean, very much so. Faz, what did you make of it generally? We'll go through kind of each goal, etc. cetera, as, as, as we get on with the podcast. But what were your general thoughts about it, apart from crushing disappointment? <laughs> I'll talk about anything but crushing disappointment. Um, it was, you know, it, it was just kind of the story of our season so far. Like, apart, literally apart from the two goals, the fact that we've got so much brilliant approach pre- play going forward. And then when we finally get into the final third, that, you know, we seem to just shit the bed a little bit. Um, you know, we did get the two goals and they were two really good goals, but we had, you know, if you look at it as a percentage of all of our good chances that day, it's actually quite a low conversion rate overall. Um, probably obviously not as bad as Everton the other night, but yeah, we're just so, we're just so brilliant going forward sometimes. And it is actually really good from Marco Silva, even after, um, you know, just a few days after the Tuesday's draw that they were able to figure out Burnley quite so quickly as well and just say, well, we'll just knock it um, over the top of them. Or even when, you know, Burnley were playing five at the back, basically, with Sander Burge literally just dropping into centre-back a lot of the time. And we were still able to, like, play through their, like, play through their defence quite easily um, and create a lot of chances that way. Um, And I think there's a lot of credit must go to Fulham as well in an attacking way. It's just so disappointing considering we're such in a commanding position that, you know, maybe it's just part of game management uh, that we need to learn, maybe a bit more of experience. Um, maybe some of the substitutions didn't help. I think there's a lot of maybes. I don't think there's one particular thing that really sticks out for me that really made us actually poo on our own bed. <laughs> well, we've had some real references so far in this podcast. It's taken about seven minutes for us to uh, to be making defecating puns, which is, is not quite <laughs> what, I, what I had in mind when the four of us got back together. Dom, it was... You know, one of, as, as Ben said, the first 15 felt like two sides filling each other out. I thought Burnley probably had the better of it. But actually, you kind of look back at it and think, was that Fulham just getting to grips with the game and learning how they were going to try and punish this, this Burnley side? And then there's two very good goals. One, obviously, from a corner that Joao heads in. And the other, a lovely finish 
from Rodrigo Muniz. And to be honest, my brother texted me at that exact moment, be like, relegate this start immediately. They've just been dinked by Rodrigo Muniz. That's the, it's the end of days. You've got to go. But they were two well-worked goals. Obviously, set pieces have been a thing for Fulham and we frustra- were frustrated in the midweek game against Everton because we had so many chances from set pieces and didn't take them. So to actually stick one in the back of the net was, was good vibes. Yeah, and I feel like, I don't know if statistically if it's correct, but if, if it feels like last season we were very successful with set pieces. And I feel like this year it just been, it's been the complete opposite where it's been attacking or defending. Our set piece players just felt totally different. And I don't know what that is, but it was good to see us take advantage of, of one of the corners because we, we do get a high amount of corners the way, the way we play. And we just don't seem to take advantage of them. But we did this time, great ball in from Pereira and then a great header from... Jal Polina sort of at the near post uh, past James Trafford and then obviously that once we got that goal we were in control then you get Mooney's dinking it over Trafford to make it 2-0 and we thought right Fulham will go on and be in complete control now and we should hopefully see out this game that's what the sort of feeling was at half time we're like these lot of rubbish We um, there's a reason they're 19th in the table and then sec- even but then he, so you go into half time feeling like that then at the start of the second half, we were a better team. We had chances. And I, I want to say there was another one from a set piece or a cross where James Trafford tipped it over the bar. So and then I and, I, and just the, to get onto the first goal, we can see it's just criminal to concede from your as we just as I just was applauding our set piece play to then concede our first goal from a from a Fulham corner. Yeah, and it was like okay, we've we've given them. A, a sort of goal back into the game, but you know we we should we should still have enough here. Like we've been the better side. And then, yeah, capitulated, capitulated for the, the second goal as well. So, yeah, it, it was it was it was quite a strange feeling because it was it was more like everyone just confused how on earth we haven't won three or four nil, and as opposed to drawing two two. Yeah, I think that's it. It's it's one of those where you know you come out of it and you're thinking, how do we not win the game five nil? It's not just how do we not win the game. It's how do we not take any of these chances? I suppose that the question becomes when you start talking about their first goal, we start talking about Burnt Leno. It's been a bit of a wobbly month for Burnt Leno. We talked about the the goal against Liverpool, which maybe is a little bit harsh in terms of the deflections it takes. But you look at the performance against Everton, where, especially from set pieces, Fulham looked incredibly dodgy at the back and, and that we could concede. And then whatever he's doing for this first goal, I, I don't think I'll ever know. Now, Tom made a good point before we came on air that we've just seen Alisson have an absolute stinker against Arsenal. So it's not been a great weekend for goalkeeping in the Premier League, full stop. There's been an absolute shed load of goals all over the place. I've seen some calls and we had a few questions in this podcast from people saying, is it time to give Marek Rodak a chance? I feel like that's a little bit hasty. But Leno, as Drew once said, has a lot of credit in this bank if we're talking about performances and what he's done in a Fulham shirt. But it would be disingenuous to say that it's not been no that it has been a good month for them. Yeah, I think he's definitely been up and down against the high bar he set himself with his performances over the last two years. I think there's been so many times when he saved us, but this his decision making this weekend was inexplicable to come for that cross, knowing that he couldn't get to it or, or seemingly pulled out halfway through. I just couldn't fathom what he was trying to do there and when you're a team of our ilk, you need your core players really stepping up throughout every single game to maintain the status that you have in this league. And Leno is one that consistently steps up, but just didn't this weekend. And ideally, you're looking for him to pull himself back up again in the coming run of games. I think 
you're spot on. It's way too early to even consider Marit Rodak going back in goal. And, and to be honest with you, I think he'd probably be a little bit out of his depth anyway. I do like Marek, but I think Leno's just a step step above. And there's a reason why we performed so well this year. There's a reason why we've picked up so many points and burned Leno is, is that guy. Um, so hopefully he just picks it back up. But looking back to his Arsenal days, he is definitely capable of a few blunders and a, and a couple of mental errors. Um, I don't know if you remember a few of them, Jack, especially during the COVID season. He was incredibly yeah. patchy with his decision-making. Um, but I think there's so many positives to his game. I think his distribution is is definitely one of them. It's the reason why we get out the block so quickly is because he's able to use either foot to um, spur on those counter-attacks. But yes, we prefer that he, he definitely brings it all back in. And um, I think it's also a factor that we need to bear in mind is that we're now back to a, a different centre-half pairing here with Riemann Tosin. And I think they don't give the same security as Tosin and Bassi did. Um, I think we're greatly missing Bassi. And I, I loved the the chemistry that Tosin and Bassi had before before AFCOM started. Um, and, and I do genuinely think that as much as I love Tim, he's, he's definitely lost a step this season, uh, even more so than last. And um, that's not the first time that a team has actively came out and targeted his area of the pitch throughout the full 90. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Obviously, you know, Farrell, we talk about performers playing well and then suddenly having, you know, a moment where they capitulate. We saw the same for Kenny Tete for the second goal, someone who's usually incredibly reliable. I wonder if there's something in the idea that, you know, Bert Leno had basically nothing to do for the entire 90 minutes. Mm. The big opportunity that Bernie fashioned in the first half whistled wide. He basically didn't have a save to make. So the moment that he decides to make those issues or make that decision to come out and actually try and claim that ball and, and be nowhere near it is the first real action he has of the half. And I wonder if that's playing into it equally. We're talking about Kenny Tete, who's just come off the bench, maybe not as you know hot as perhaps he'd like to be. That's where it gets a little bit uncomfortable, I think. Yeah, maybe a little bit of rustiness from Tete. I think Bert Leno, you're probably in the right ballpark in terms of, you know, he didn't really have a great deal to do and he's looking a bit rusty, rusty but that's, you know... That's where top, top goalkeepers really earn their mustard, especially at the biggest teams where they, you know, actually rarely have to shine. But when they're called upon, they actually produce some, a moment of brilliance. Um, maybe Leno yeah, but is Bert just Leno, better. Yeah, but Leno had that opportunity and left. So, yeah, so exactly. actually that's maybe what we're looking at here. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I think we're quite far away from Bern Leno being dropped right now in favor of Marek Rodak. I do like, I really like Marek Rodak. You know, he had a fantastic uh, half a season when he first came in in the championship. His, his level dropped a little bit back in the, in the second time of the championship, but even so, and this is nothing against Marek Rodak. I just think that Leno's, um, Leno's bottom ability is greater than Marek's top ability. If I'm honest, I think Leno gives us more than enough in shot stopping ability, cross claiming, calmness, distribution, pretty much in every area that I think he's better than than Rodak. I think the Tete, the Tete thing is more t- probably an indicative of how thin the squad is at the moment. The fact that we are sort of moving people around, that we have to sort of squeeze Tete on uh, and move players around, put Pereira on the on the right wing. Um it's just indicative of where the squad is at the moment that Marco Silva's trying to uh put, you know, manage the squads and manage people's minutes enough um, in any other, in any other game. And we, you know, in any other game, in any other sort of like time when 
everyone is fit at the moment. I don't think that Tete's even coming on. But that's no disrespect to Tete. You know, he's coming in cold when Burnley have got their tails up and they managed to exploit it. I do actually do think it's quite a good ball, you know, inside him. It's just out of his reach. I just think it's a little bit of a misjudgment from Tete to try and go for it and ends up getting caught out. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, this is from Zimzam Stom, and I, I think it's probably worth bringing this kind of point up. He says, at what stage do we stop making excuses for Marco and our repeated late capitulations? That's not on recruitment or injuries. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to see out 2-0 leads against championship-level sides. It's not the first fluffed win this season. And... Whilst I think that maybe it's a little bit harsh to lay that at Marco Silva's door, I do think there is something to be potentially questioned a little bit about the mentality late on in games for this side right now. Now, yes, I think it would be also disingenuous to not talk about the fact that these players are knackered. And we'll come on to rotation and and a couple of questions around the squad in the second part of this podcast. But the idea that we wouldn't be able to see out a win against opposition or or let opposition back into a game who had absolutely no footholds to grab onto, I think is a relevant point. Yeah, and I actually thought Silver's substitutions were didn't really make sense yes, uh, yesterday. Personally, I didn't really I didn't really get them. Like obviously, Broya coming on for Mooners, and I thought Broya didn't look fit personally when he came on. He didn't really, he didn't he didn't he didn't look like a match fit player to me. And then Kearney coming on for Bobby Reed and Tete coming on for Pereira. It just I didn't really get it from a personnel perspective and a ta- and, a, and first of all just a tactical perspective, especially if you're allowed to with Kearney coming on and Tete coming on, especially Tete for Pereira. I just didn't think that made sense for the last sort of five, ten minutes, because that's always just gonna invite the pressure. So I think there is something I think there is something to be said about it. But obviously Silver does enough does enough credit in the bank, obviously. And then I think I don't think, you know, the, our schedule with the players we've got available, you know, with no Obi and no Wilson, we don't there isn't really any options we have. But I think there is something to be said that we do it which is weird, because last season especially, once we went into the lead, you never really thought we were gonna give it away. And so, yeah, I, I think there is something to be said about it, but I think a lot of it does sort of come into the the players. But I do think men, when it comes to mentality of some of these players, I do think in some games it's definitely been off this season. I think in that first half against Liverpool in the second leg, what I said to people at half-time half was like, it didn't look like players were up for it. Um, in certain in certain times, it looks like William was the only players, player trying to do do something in that game. But yeah, it's... I think there is something to be said, but I think there is, I just think sometimes with the mentality of the players, it has been off this season. I think there's, I think the, the one substitution that probably did make sense was actually just bringing Tom Kearney on to sort of control the game a bit more, but he, he saw hardly any of the ball, like the amount of times there are opportunities to play to him. We haven't seen him deep, right? Yeah. yeah. But I, I think bringing on Kearney makes sense. I just don't think it made sense bringing him on for Bobby Reid. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And, you know, we did. He is brilliant, as we saw in large proportions of last year. How how much um, he was great at coming on and um, being able to, you know, just slow the game down, bring us up the pitch, get us away from danger. And we saw none of that yesterday. Basically, it was it was um, it was quite frustrating, and it must have been frustrating for Tom because there were opportunities to get him the ball and he just wasn't receiving it. I don't know what it was. A nervousness maybe. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I I think that it was the right move to bring Tom Kearney on, but it felt like we needed a player deep. Now you can argue that Harrison Reed and the energy that he brings defensively in that midfield was maybe it was a move to try and see out the game. 
I will butt back a little bit in that I think that we spoke, Ben, about the fact that they, as soon as Pereira went out to the right-hand side, Burnley started to target that area. And so actually to bring on a second right-back to sit in front, Dom's right, and it invites pressure. But actually it did kind of feel like it maybe was a sensible move in that we'd seen that pressure start to build down that side. Can we close it off? Now, obviously it didn't work, but I do understand where he's coming from that. I don't understand not allowing Tom Kenny to try and slow the game down and control possession. Yeah, I, I can understand that part for sure. I also, like, I think when we need to think bigger picture about these substitutions, because I don't think that there was any intent for Fulham to go out and kill that game off with the substitutions they made in the second half. It was, okay, we've just let a goal in. We're going to try and batten down the hatches and see this game out. And it was very obvious the way the game was going and the momentum had shifted towards Burnley that we probably needed to have try and gain more foothold in the game, which I can understand with trying to bring on Tom, but the game completely bypassed him. And actually, I think the presence of Reed was was good. I think he broke up so many of their attacks. I think Palina yesterday had a little bit of an off game by his standards. Um, and to be honest with you, I would never have stuck Andreas out on the right. It gave them the impetus and the, and the momentum the moment that that happened. Um, I just think that going back to the previous point of the conversation, Silva has a lot of credit in the bank in the same way that Leno does. But the credit for a manager runs out a lot quicker than it does for a goalkeeper. Yeah, and I think absolutely. that there's, there's a lot of questionable decisions that have been made over the last few games in terms of tactical setup, in terms of substitutions, and in terms of moving from one game plan to another. And that's something that has trended the whole way throughout Silva's managerial career is that he has one very set way of playing. He has a certain type of player that he uses, but once he gets figured out, it's very difficult for him to like, you know, turn the tide or like right the wrongs. So I'd like to see him sort of use a different style of play or be a little bit more firm with substitutions. Just like circling back to the point I made originally is that, and again, going back to the previous segment was that you should be able to go out and see off this game three or four nil. If you're up two nil at half time, you should not be losing a game if you've scored more than two goals, in, in my opinion. You should be out there trying to get an, a third early in the second half and really see out that game from there onwards, not sort of teeter around a two nil lead, trying as much as you can to like stem the tide. It shouldn't be like that. We're better than that. And like Silva has more managerial chops than just to try and sit on a two nil lead and make substitutions for the sake of making substitutions. I really couldn't understand what he was trying to do by shifting and Andreas wide. I also think though, like it shows, it just makes you think why we didn't try sign a wide player even on loan. Yeah, in on in in the window because there was no one to bring on. Like I think Broyer and Kearney were are only attacking minded players that are on the bench. Show especially with the Wilson injury, I just don't think it made sense to only just about get a striker over the line, which yeah. Although we do, obviously we need we need sort of we needed someone in that area. We're probably even, we're even lighter in the wide positions with with Awobi being at Afcon, yeah. with Wilson being out. With God knows how long Traore is going to be out for. Will he ever play? He doesn't exist, game man. He doesn't exist. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's in the same um, place like, that Lionel Cole is. Yeah, he's in the locker room at Bad like, He's just, never letting out. It, it just doesn't. I just don't. It shows that we I, that was actually a position that we probably need to sign a player in. And because, you know, they're not being actually a wide option to bring on. I was just going to say, the big overarching theme throughout the whole of the January transfer windows was that everyone was like right up against FFP. No one's got any money, et cetera, et cetera. Fulham are probably the only exception to that rule in that we we might be up against FFP more than I understand it. 
but we definitely have money in the bank. Like we, we barely spent in the summer. And then we sold Mitrovic right at the end of the summer transfer window. And then again, like we should have funds there to go out and do something effective in the market, even if it's just a couple of small moves. Yeah, I mean, I, I would caveat this with, with one thing that I think we probably are slightly tighter to the, the line than, than perhaps we, we expected. And obviously you're probably looking at loans then. And I wonder if there is something in the idea that if we loaned a winger, right, someone who you, you feel is probably going to improve or at least, you know, keep the squad steady, it must be quite a hard sell to suggest to someone, you'd be like, oh, we, we want to, you know, loan a winger from you and, you know, they'll get game time. When they go, well, hang on, when Awobi's back, when Wilson's back, because that does, injury doesn't look too bad, are they actually going to play? And I wonder if that factors into it because actually we're just in a particularly tough moment. But I do agree. I, I said beforehand that, we, you know, having three strikers on the books at the start of the season felt nuts because we don't play with two strikers. And actually any time we've tried to throw two strikers up top, it's not worked because that's not the way that Fulham are set up to play. So actually, if you want an overload of, of players who can play in one position, it's definitely not up front. It's definitely out wide. So, I mean, I agree with you, Dom. I think that that was the position that I would have maybe looked at very, very heavily. But I think that if we'd signed a winger and not a striker, everyone might have gone absolutely ballistic. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a case of, of treading the line in that one. Dom, I suppose, you know, kind of final question on this, and we'll take a break and we'll answer some of the questions, some of which are related to Burnley, some are a bit more broad ranging. But where do you think it leaves us? Because... That week against Everton at home and then Burnley away felt like the kind of week we really probably needed to get four points minimum from. Now, it's been an okay weekend from a Fulham perspective in terms of everybody else because the teams around us and below us haven't really picked up any points. Brentford obviously yet to play, but they play City tomorrow night. You'd fancy the chances of them picking anything up are relatively slim. Not impossible, but relatively slim. You know, we saw Bournemouth drop points in the place above us. We saw Chelsea lose. That's the teams all the way down from, you know, halfway in the league. Palace lost, Forest drew, Luton drew, Everson drew, Burnley drew, Blades lost. So actually we haven't lost any ground, but it felt like an opportunity missed nonetheless. Yeah, I think it was important to get four or six points to be in any aspirations really of pushing for top 10. Because I think it would have been, we've been, you know, if we're four points better off this week, we'd be two points off the top half instead of six. You know, we're only one point less off the top half of the yard, the bottom three. I'm not, and I'm, and I'm not saying we're in a relegation battle. We're not, as far as I'm concerned. But I think us and Bournemouth are sort of just stuck in this sort of 12th, 13th position in the table where we're looking ahead, to, uh, looking ahead up in the league to, to try and push for a top half finish, but it's probably too far off. And I don't think there's enough teams below us who could overtake us in regards for us to go down. But I think it is a concern that we've won one league game since the middle of December and we're now into February. The, you know, we haven't won, we, apart from Arsenal, we haven't won in the league since we beat the two five nils against West Ham and Nottingham Forest. And the Arsenal game, and it's not, and it's not like in these league games actually, we've actually been playing well and not getting results. I don't think we've I don't think we've played well probably uh, since that Arsenal game a month ago, like properly putting especially in the league. You can you can look at the cup performances as well, but yeah, it's been it's it's a bit of a weird situation. I thought we we had games where you know we like oh these, these are games we should be getting points in and maybe help us push for a top ten, and we, and we haven't seen that. And I think it is I think it is a combination of factors. One of them is to do with the amount of games we've had with the League Cup. 
Um, but and I, said, I think crashing out of both cups in the same week was obviously devastating in regard to sort of the rest of the season because I think a lot of Fulham fans are probably thinking, can we just get the rest of the season out of the way now because there's not really too much to play for? But I think it just leaves us in this limbo uh, with, with, with Bournemouth essentially where we're not going to push for top 10 and we're not really going to go down. Personally, I just think that's a pretty good position. You know, at the end of the day, if we finish 12th or 13th come the end of the year, I think that's still, I think that's a good finish. You know, we're obviously a little bit spoiled with what happened last year. Yeah, I'm not year saying it's bad. a bad, no, 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 bad finish. But I just no, think it's, I just think it makes the rest of the season really dull for us because there's, there's not really anything on any of the rest of our games. Yeah, I, I mean, mean it doesn't want to count against that. May, right? <laughs> they could be nothing till May. Go on, Ben. Though I think that's a fair point. I, I kind of want to counter it because, like, 12 or 13th. Yeah, I guess you can kind of see it as a good finish. We we had our star player leave just before the season started. We haven't replaced him, etc. But last year gave us such a huge platform to go on and be someone that is probably bumping their head on Conference League or maybe Europa League if we really invested in the right way. We didn't. And now we're, you know, are we, what are we going to be? Southampton for the next five years? Just treading water around 12th to 10th place every single year and then eventually just dropping out like we did in 14? Like, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like we, we gave ourselves such a huge platform and we didn't take it. And now we're just like, are we, is this just us? Yeah, I said, there's no reason if we, if we pushed on in the summer by spending money, we couldn't be where West Ham are right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying we'd be sixth, but like, um, there's no, but we, it should have been the summer of, yes, we get, you know, 15th for Mitrovic. I think we can talk about the transfer as much as we like and what, why he's gone there, but 15th for Mitrovic, I think at his age you take. And, but it, we just, I think we spent 20 and, and, and only, sorry, we spent 20 and got 50 in. So we made a third, we got 30 million pounds there and we just didn't, we didn't spend it. I just, I, it, it, I, I do agree. I do agree. I do agree with Alan, I agree with Ben as well, but it's not a bad position to be in being in 12th, but this really should have been a season where we built on last season instead of sort of regressing ever so slightly. Yeah. I, 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 it's, I think we'll take good points. I think, you know, I'd much rather us be in this position when we're when we're spending sort of conservatively rather than absolutely break the bank and still end up in exactly the same position. But then again, this was supposed to be the year that we were going to kick on uh, transfer wise because we got all of that all of those players off the books that we've been um, that we've had like Angisa and Seri. They're no longer factors in in FFP and also Mitrovic as well. Um, and considering there was a there was an article in the Athletic about you know the top revenue top revenue making clubs in the world and Fulham sit 26th in clubs revenue top revenue in the entire world you know above big teams in France and Germany and whatnot and yet we're still sort of like scrapping around and patting yourselves on the back for the fact that we we won't spend four million pounds on a loan signing and we you know we get him for free and whatnot it does feel a bit it does feel a bit a bit weird and in, in that regard and yeah I, I, look I think there was opportunities out there to strengthen. Um, I admittedly, I said last week to some friends, like not a lot of people around us are strengthening. And I think we're actually a good position, a relatively good position squad wise, but that was possibly before Wilson got injured when before Jimenez got injured. Um, you know, there was definite opportunities to strengthen. And for some reason, Fulham don't seem to want to take them. They're all, Everyone seems a bit nervous as well as Fulham. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right, we'll leave it there for part one. We'll be back after the break to answer all of your questions. Don't go anywhere. 
Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Jack Collins here with Don Betts, Ben Jarman and Farrell Monk. Just a word to say that this season Fulhamish is supported by NordVPN. So if you'd like to watch football games, TV shows which aren't available in your region or you want to save some money by purchasing flights from different locations to go and see some football around Europe. Personally, I use it to watch Belgian second division players that Fulham are linked with to make sure that we're uh, actually signing anyone good. Although any signings will do at this point. A subscription to NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month and you can uh, use one account on up to six devices. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash Fulhamish to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and four additional months for free. Best of all, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com forward slash Fulhamish. Right, onwards and on to some questions. So we've got one here from our very own AF who says, seems clear to me that our injuries are being caused by burning out our squad. Too many minutes to try and cover for the lack of depth. Given this, can you think of a feasible outside of loans reason why youth is not being integrated more into the current setup? And kind of to add to that, Mark Holiday said, no disrespect to the current players, but Saturday highlighted the lack of depth in the squad, forcing player, Silver to play players who need a rest to keep up the intensity. I feel Silver has kept players who wanted to go but stayed for him, and I worry about summer exits. What do you think, Ben? I think I'm a little bit further away from this than some of you guys are simply because I don't get the coverage. But the way I see it is that a lot of our, a lot of the youth players that are on the cusp of making the squad are actually out on loan elsewhere. So there's quite a big gap in quality between what's remaining of the youth versus our actual first team squad. And then just the level that the Premier League is against those leagues like the reserve leagues and maybe the lower leagues that the a lot of the youngsters play their trade in. So I, I always temper these questions with a little bit of a pinch of salt. Um, and, and especially I, we always get them, you know, they always come in against a very strong trend. When Fulham are doing badly, people start asking questions about youngsters. And I think the key thing to remember is that the level of the Premier League is the best in the world and everything else, there's a, there's a huge gap towards it. Um, so I would really temper the expectations. But I mean, the way I see it is that all of our you know, cream of the crop youth talent is elsewhere right now. So there is no one else to bring in. I don't know necessarily if you guys all agree with that sentiment, just because you're a little closer than I am. Dom, it, it would probably go on to the point about intensity, but I do think Ben's right here. Do you remember when Stevie Humphreys was the answer to all of the problems at Fulham? And then, you know, we, we've seen where his career has gone since and he's doing fine, but hardly setting things alight in, in League One. It's not, it's clear that no, that wasn't the answer. I see he was banging in goals in the conference league for Hearts, mate. <laughs> well, there you go. There's one level above us at the end of the day. But is there something here about the intensity? Because it does feel like injuries are starting to pile up. We saw Tosin looking like he was nursing a, a hamstring injury towards the end of the game. We don't know how serious that is yet. And we'll come on to a few questions about what that looks like. But it does kind of feel like even though Fulham had three youngsters on the bench at the weekend in, in the Fougeroles, Sekelarak and Josh King, at no point did I think that any of those players were going to come on. Yeah, um, I think the closest you're going to have is the Fugeroles. But unless you get an injury at centre-half, he's not you're not really going to bring a centre-back on or unless you're, I guess, trying to protect a lead. But he did he did that by taking off Pereira and bringing on Kenny Tete. I think we've always really, really had an, an injury 
uh, really had always really had a problem when it comes to getting youth players in, into the side. Like we've seen Ryan Sessegnon and Fabio Carvalho, I'd say, are the only ones I can really think of in recent years that we've had come into the first team, stay in the first team and make a difference. You know, and That was in the championship, Har- right? Yeah. You know, Harvey Elliott, what did he make? Two or three appearances? Then you had Dembele who gave a sort of 18, 18 months, you include when he sort of made his debut in the Premier League. Patrick Roberts was, well, if we, if we, if we played a system of wingers on the Kit Simons, uh, we might, might have played a bit more. But yeah, we, we, we did. Yeah, we we do seem to have this thing where we have promising young players, but you know, to be fair, how many of these promising, a lot of promising young players we've had have let who aren't obviously the big names like the your Dembele's, Harvey Elliott's kind of who's gone on and done stuff. You know, as Jack mentioned, Humphreys, what he's played for like Hearts, Wigan, um, teams teams in the either so you're Scotland and in the lower half of the EFL. So I think, and you know, I think the main one who sticks out is obviously Jay Stansfield. But I think for his development, it is good for him to stay at Birmingham for the rest of the season. I think yeah. what, now Rooney's left left St Andrews. It's a good thing for him. Um, all, all the all the Blues fans I know think he's absolutely great. I want to sign on a permanent deal. I was like, well, unless you're going to spend sort of twenty five, thirty million pounds on him, you're not you're not you're not going to get him. And you know, Birmingham's no owners. Who knows? But yeah, I think it, people. It, because because the players can, are doing it for the under twenty ones or something, you know, we've seen Ollie O'Neill, who was a very promising young player, just go to lay in Orient on on in in the, in the transfer window just been. So, I think people sometimes do forget the gap between competing and doing well at under twenty one level to actually making an impact on the first team. But I think it just I don't think it's an issue with youth really. I think it's an issue with the Tony Khan and who and Ali Mack or whoever's in charge of buying players and thinking, oh, look, these are the players we've got and it looks good. But then as soon as you get two or three of them out, then the squad's very bare thin. I think there are sort of some areas where we have we have played we have depth and then there's some areas where once a couple of players go out injured, there's there's not really anyone else, I'm thinking, especially in the wide areas. Yeah, I mean, Faz, anything to add on on the kind of injuries? And is it just because we've had so many games across January and and so many important games as well, where it felt like actual rotation wasn't really possible? We're going into this week and it's the first time in what feels like forever that Fulham haven't had a midweek game. We're able to just take a little bit of a breather. It has really taken its toll on this squad. And look, you can question the hierarchy and the ownership and the recruitment strategy on not being able to foresee the fact that obviously two, three players are going off to AFCON and they're playing for nations who could well go far in the tournament. So you're kind of thinking, okay, we should probably have cover for that. But equally, it does feel like this spate of games with a stretch squad has made the problems even worse, has really exacerbated the fold. Well, I would loathe to... uh, to, Uh, insult the hierarchy on anything at all whatsoever at the moment um the i think that that's just down to uh marco silva to manage really uh and i think that coming up you know he's had you know a great season in the championship where the games come thick and fast all the time and no one game is less important than the next one uh so he comes with you know the ability to manage not just the 11 on the pitch but you know 20 or so players who want to who want to play week in week out, um, but you know the level required to play at the championship and the, the you know the level of resources that Fulham have available to pick up players in the championship who do play at championship level, you know, is pr- was pretty endless. But it it might just show how difficult it is to pick up the level of quality that the Premier League require and the Fulham require to challenge in the Premier League, you know, and 
but yeah, it, it, Marco Silva's got a tough job on his hands and it's not just him, there's loads of other players, loads of other managers at, at this level as well. Um, I just think I just think it shows how difficult a job it is. The only the only game recently that we were able to maybe um, manage some game time a bit more was that Newcastle game, the FA Cup game, and we played a sort of like one and a half, not a second string eleven. But you know, I just don't think I think yesterday if Fulham picked up three points, I don't think we'd be having this discussion really. I think if we manage that game a bit better and got the three points, I just don't think we'd ha- be having this discussion. Uh, I, you know, we could, we will probably look at how paper thin the squad is. You'd be is. calling it a good week if we, if we got the three points yesterday. Yeah. Like four yeah, points yeah, from these two games. But is that, is that the point, right? That, you know, we actually got very tired. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it is indicative. Maybe. Maybe it would just paper over the cracks a little bit. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. Um, it comes on to this next point, which is now if Tosin is injured. Now again, we don't know exactly what the details on that one are. Jordan says, should we give the Fujiroles a shot if Tosin isn't one hundred percent? Um, and Fulham Fan News said, who's partnering Ream against Bournemouth? Ben, it's a funny one because obviously Diop's injured. Basti remains at Afcon for the time being, and even if he was to be knocked out in the semi-finals with Nigeria you'd assume that he doesn't come straight back in and, and, and get into the team immediately. It's you know, the way that these games fall. So if Tosin is out injured, is it wiser to give someone like Luke de Fugerols a shot? Or is this a moment where Joao Polina drops into the back line and, and just to kind of paper the cracks until Bassi does return? I mean, I think I would probably lean towards the second half of that in that you put someone that's a bit more experienced into the back line and we go from there. I mean, we've got a pretty tough run of fixtures coming up over the next couple of weeks. Um, like Bournemouth, I think, is probably doable with someone like uh, Fugeroles in the back line. But the game subsequently after that is going to be a bit of a baptism of fire for someone that young. I mean, we got quite lucky in that this week, uh, Bournemouth picked up a couple of injuries and had a red card to Philip Billing. So we might not get the full outfit there and you know the game might be closer than the return fixture. But um, I'd be more tempted to play someone else at centre-half than uh, De Fugero, despite the fact he is a good Canadian boy. Tom? Uh, it's Bournemouth, so we're not going to get anything from the game. <laughs> <laughs> this is the type just of play, analysis play I'm here the B for. Team. Yeah, just play the B <laughs> yeah. team. Play the B team, it doesn't matter. It's full um, in Bournemouth. We never get a result against them. I, I'm trying, I think that 1-0 in the season we went down is generally the only time I remember us beating them since we sort of started playing them in around 2014, 15. You can, you can, yeah. If we I do mean, get a result, how many, how many three-word reviews are we going to get of popped our cherry? Quite a lot, you'd imagine. Quite a lot. None Pop of them are going to suppress Claret and Poo, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we've got to. That's exactly the level of this podcast at this point. So, fair enough. All right, we'll move on from that topic and from the, the continued defecation references. And I'm going to go to Chris Chedazinho, who says, Will Awobi and Bassi winning AFCON benefit us more in the long run? They'd come back in great spirits and winning can hopefully be contagious. I will kind of caveat this with the fact that even if Nigeria were to get knocked out in midweek in the semi-final, again, they probably won't be back for the weekend and the finals at the weekend. So the chances are that whether they win or lose or draw from here on, we're probably going to have Bassi and Iwobi back for exactly the same point anyway. Yeah, and I think it, I, I, if we play if an international, if we play one of our players going away to an international tournament, I'm not one of these people who want them to lose and get back as soon as possible. 
Like if there are players who want him to go away and win and win the, win the tournament. Yeah, I'm with you. We are we are potentially the only people in the world who like international football, Dom. So. Yeah, that's a fair point. I'm, I'm just waiting, waiting for the Euros now. That's generally the only thing that's getting me through. I like international season. football. I'm just going to put that out there. All right, fair enough. Yeah, so do I. Say, this is the only podcast <laughs> in the world where well, we know four members yeah. like international football. I'm going to, I'm going to see Euros in June. South Africa. <laughs> yeah, they do. N- I mean, Nigeria has South Africa, whose goalkeepers just say four penalties in the penalty shootout. There's no way they're getting past him. Guys like <laughs> God in between the sticks. Sh- yeah, shades of I'm, Fulham I'm, legend Andre Arkansas. Oh wow, wow, that is that's Jesus. really quite that's really quite a reference. Um, Chris, to answer the question, I think we should be supporting them to win this tournament at this point. Um, if they'd gone out in the group stages, then maybe you could make an argument that Fulham Neat could have had them back when they needed them. But at this point, I don't think it makes any difference uh, at which yeah. point they come back. So they should. We should. We should want them to win it. This is really going off the rails, but I really did enjoy it when Fulham used to be Super Eagle FC back in 2019, 20, yeah. when we had Lukman, Tosin, and all the, the Nigerian guys. Josh Madger. Yeah, Ola and then there was that random, yeah, the, the picture of Scott Parker dressed up in traditional Nigerian clothing was one of my favourite ever images <laughs> that season. Photoshopped, we should add. Um, yes. but, it was, um, <laughs> but it was very, very enjoyable. Um, all right, yeah. Chris and Barney say, who's your preferred starting right back? Faz? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. I love Kenny Tete. And I think I think I've been really impressed with Timothy Castagna. I think it's it's too close to call for me. I think that what what Ke- what Kenny Tete can bring to our forward line is uh, just it's incredible from a right back position. Um, but that's, you know, I think that his ceiling of attacking is probably better than Castagna's. However, I think Castagna has showed like how consistently good he can be backwards and forwards for us. So um, I think, I think Tete's, you know, just thinking about it out loud, I think Tete is probably better at both attacking and defending. But I think Castagna this season has been more consistent. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair enough. Ben, I would add this to that question. We now have a striker who likes to get his noggin on the ball again. And we saw that Tete Dimitrovic link up work on numerous occasions last year. Does that factor into this discussion? Because there was a point where Fulham stopped playing like they did last season because Mitrovic wasn't there. We now have a player in Armando Broja, hopefully who comes here and, and and starts to rebuild a little bit of that aerial presence that's in the middle. Maybe we've lacked a tad of with, with Muniz and, and Raul up there. Does that change the need a little bit of right back? Yeah, I think it does actually, because when you asked me between the differences, sorry, between Kenny Tete and Castagna, the main difference is the quality of delivery, I think. Other than that, I think they're fairly similar in their, their attacking and defensive output. I think both are very, very good at having a, a good level to their game in terms of being able to defend appropriately and get forward when really needed. But the defining factor between both of them is that Kenny is so good at whipping in those crosses. And now we have a, a defined presence in the box. I think that we will see him utilised a little bit more. I think Castagna, for me, I don't know. He just comes across as a rock-steady player. Like, very dependable on both sides. If you're looking for a little bit of balance, he's the guy you're looking for. Kenny, on the other hand, is that guy that you're looking for a little bit more attacking impetus for, from. And now we have an established like player once Broya gets match fit. I do think we'll start to see the inclusion of Tete out there a little bit more. I think Castagna is just, on the whole, a little bit more intelligent with his passing inside um, his build-up play, whereas Kenny is a lot more um, prone for want of a better phrase, to lumping it into the box, albeit the delivery is good. 
Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, all right, Dom, one for you from Eddie O, who I really enjoy his at, which is at Cottagerish Ed, which is a sort of play on all of these things, which is great. Um, he says, are we potentially looking at a massive summer rebuild? And I think whilst we probably don't need to go into all of the depth of it, it's probably worth considering at this point. Yeah, I think I'm not necessarily saying necessarily a rebuild, but I don't think that's quite what I word as I don't think it's like we've got a massively aging squad that needs totally redeveloping but there are some there are some key areas where I think we need to invest in you know you not not necessarily young players but you know players who are like 23 24 who've got who will come who come to the team got a, got a point to prove I'm not saying that we're gonna have loads of players coming and using it as a stepping stone for a move to a top to a top 14 but you know there is sort of Positions where it is not getting, not necessarily getting stale as such. I'm not going. To, I'm not saying Tim Ream and Bobby Reed and Kearney and stuff are making it stale, but we just just some fresh impetus in the team, really, because it's compared to last season. What what's really different apart from not having Mitrovic up front and then whoever we have up front. So I think it's more just maybe the rebuild is as such is rebuilding the system that we that we're using to to adapt something else. Silver wants to do. To get get new players in, but it's definitely we definitely need some fresh investment in the summer. Which hopefully it this, this January and this season was just to get around PSR, and then hopefully for next season we can start investing the money because it's not like we've got one of the richest owners in the league yet. We we haven't we hard, we've hardly spent any money. You know we spent loads of money obviously when he first came. But as one knows, spent a hundred million and went down. But to be honest, yeah, I just I I think it's we need to completely sort of revamp the squad. In regard to getting players who are younger, because we have got quite quite an old team, if I'm being quite honest. Yeah, very old, very very old. All right, we're going to finish this with one more question. It's from Weekly Geekly, and I like this. He said, "Can often feel like it's doom and gloom supporting Fulham, but what are your three positives from the season so far?" I'm going to ask you each to pull out a positive. Uh, Dom, I'll give you the longest to think about it because you're the most naturally negative of the four of us. Uh, as fast as you can start. <laughs> Uh, bloody hell. Uh, why did you have to ask us after capitulating a two goal lead away at Burnley? Um, <laughs> can you done this post? Well, I think that's the exact point, right? Yeah. Um, I think given, I think given everything that's gone on recently with the results, I think the biggest positive in this is just generally just Marco Silva. I think he's really, I think he generated a lot of credit from last season. And if anything, given the struggles off the pitch, um, you know, with transfers and the fan unrest and all this, I think he's really still coming to his own and he's still managed to able to get the best out of this Fulham squad. Okay. All right, James. My personal highlight of this season has been Alex Awobi. Um, I've loved mm. Awobi ever since he broke through on the scene at Arsenal. Um, and I was actually... Really pleased when we signed him. I know that probably in the in the years in between, I've probably had a couple of comments about the way he plays at times, but I I really think that he's been a breath of fresh air since he joined Fulham. Um, he's given us some great impetus. It's nice to see a younger, a younger player being bought by Fulham that's just entering into the prime of their career. And I think that Awobi has showed some brilliant maturity across uh, a number of the games. Uh, more importantly, some versatility, which I think has brought into his game recently, especially through the middle of the pitch. And, and I think since he's gone to AFCON, to be quite honest with you, he's been such a huge miss 
um, for us going forward and um, our attacking output has really suffered. So Awobi is my positive and I think a very close second would be Calvin Bassey, to be honest. You might not remember this, chance, but I do remember vividly having a long conversation with you at Alex Awobi in a bar somewhere about five or six years ago, probably completely pissed being like, I can't, Hopefully yeah. we'll sign in one day. I do remember that actually, yeah. And I will, I think I've spoken about this every time I've been on the pod recently is that <laughs> I went to watch Fulham versus Arsenal at the Emirates and Awobi was there and he was so good. And I've always hoped we signed him ever since. And now obviously it's one of those that's actually come to fruition and it's been really good for the club. So that's great. There's been a couple that I've always wished we'd had signed and then they've turned out to be absolute rubbish. One of which being Fernando Amor Bieta. And I was also buzzing when we signed Erby Emanuelson. He was also crap. So I wouldn't take any of my uh, advice on transfers going forward. Well, these two pulled off. These two pulled off. Tom, yeah. over to you. Uh, we don't have to go Merseyside for the rest of the season now. <laughs> <laughs> After, what is it, like five or six times in the last 10 months or whatever it is. But positive, uh, positivity, positivity-wise, obviously the League Cup run. Uh, some great great stopping and winning a trophy and Tottenham winning a trophy for another season. Great, great penalty shootout win away at Everton was 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 fantastic. Um, continuing our good run at Goodison Park, it seems like since COVID, the it's completely switched our our, our, our luck there. Uh, so the League Cup run in general, because you know, you know, I don't remember the last we had we had any good results really in the in the League Cup. Um, and another positive of the season is that we've just become a stable mid-table Premier League team again like last season wasn't just a one-off and then we'd back, be back in a relegation battle this season as we've seen with some teams who come up I'm thinking of Sheffield United under Chris Wilder when they first came up um, who was sort of pushing had that sort of small push for Europe and then obviously fell off and then had an awful season the next season so I think that is something to take as positive it's just when you kind of build on that as me and, as we mentioned earlier on in the podcast um, any other positives if, it'd be great if Arsenal lose the league by four points because <laughs> then we can just say we stopped them winning the league, which would be absolutely great. You would enjoy that more than anyone, I think, which is uh, which is enjoyable. Excellent. Fantastic. Some good positivity there, boys, to end this episode. And it means there's only a couple of things left to do, one of which is naming the podcast. So, Mr. Monk, what are you going for? Shall I, poo, shall I put Yeah, I was gonna ask I was gonna ask the panel, should we go for Claret and Blue or Claret and Poo? Claret I mean, and Poo, hundred percent. It's got a consider, poo. Considering yeah. it's been mentioned about two hundred times on the podcast, I think it is probably worth having. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll leave that childless. There. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll go with we'll, we'll no lean into us. the childishness. <laughs> There's no need for us to say feces. No, absolutely, absolutely. This is why it's been seven years since the four of us were on a podcast. <laughs> it'll be another seven it'll years. It'll be another seven. Sammy's <laughs> going to be listening to this, being like, "Why have I let these idiots on again?" Um, so, with that, I think all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Mr. Farrell Monk. Thank you very much, Jack. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much to Mr. Ben Jarman, live from Canada. Thank you very much, Jack, and great to be back on with all of you. And thank you very much to Mr. Don Betts. No worries, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish podcast. Thank you so much for listening as ever. And we'll see you later in the week when we're back with the Thursday Club. Looking forward to Bournemouth. But for now, take it easy. You what? Toodles.